And welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the busy intersection of faith and reason where they both meet each week on Mother Angelica Way. I'm Doug Keck, your gatekeeper leading into the universe. Email your questions. The best way to get into the universe, Spitzer's Universe at EW10.com. Check out all of Father Spitzer's websites. There's, of course, TheMagiscenter.com. We've also got Purposeful Universe. And, of course, there's also the SpitzerCenter.org uh, as well. That's the new one. And Father Spitzer's Universe is always available on our EW10 YouTube channel and the EW10 On Demand page. While you're there checking out Father Spitzer's Universe, look for some new great programming, especially we've just added four seasons of the very popular Philosopher's Bench featuring, featuring Peter Kraft, of course, he's great, and other philosophers sitting and chatting with him about the great issues and philosophical issues of the church. That's the Philosopher's Bench. See it for free and on demand, 24-7, anytime you'd like. And you can begin looking at topics for Father Spitzer's book, which we'll be working on. You can check it out through EW10's Religious Catalog. It's the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church, okay? We finally got to this one. Available now through the EW10 Religious Catalog, of course, The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church. That's what we're going to be going through. And the Book of the Month from the late, great, the one and only Father Benedict Groeschel. Father Benedict answers your questions, and he always does it with a smile and a twinkle in his eye. That's Father Benedict Groeschel, proudly published through EW10 Publishing. Now we turn to the, the other twinkling eye out on the West Coast, and a man who always uh, brings light to all our conversations, the one and only Father Spitzer. How are you, Father? Doing great, Doug, yourself? Good, good. Very, very, very good. If you'd like to kick everything off of the prayer, we can get started. Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this ministry and our ability to serve in it. We ask you today to send your Holy Spirit down upon us, Doug, myself, our whole um, audience, and our staff and team this day, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will, for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom, through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray Praise for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And uh, so here we are in the month of the Sacred Heart, which is what we'll focus on rather than Pride Month. We can take pride in the Sacred Heart, I guess. And, uh, you know, uh, well, as a Dodger fan, I'm sure you're quite aware of uh, uh. some of the kerfuffle going on with the uh, Sisters of Perpetual yeah. Indulgence. Uh, who yeah, people yeah. Uh, I think are familiar with mocking Catholic nuns o over these years, usually out of San Francisco. Yeah. But uh, Bishop Strickland yeah. has announced yeah. he's going to lead a Eucharistic procession to Dodger Stadium in reparation for this uh, anti-Catholic drag nuns event. Uh, so people may want to check oh, that out. Um, it's, oh, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. It's uh, the main organizer. The event is Virgin Most Powerful Radio. The procession is also being sponsored by several of the Catholic groups, including LifeSide News, Catholics for Catholics, American Needs Fatima, and the Catholic Vote. And Bishop Strickland said, we need Go to ahead. speak up. And he said, thankfully, Archbishop Cardleone nailed it when he talked about this garbage going on at Dodger yes. Stadium. And one of the things that's interesting, and you'll yeah. recall this as, uh, as an old-time Dodger fan, it wasn't always this way. Yep. Uh, and, uh, and one of the classic ones you'll remember is remember when, the, when Sandy Koufax, right, refused oh, yeah. to pitch game one of the World Series because it fell on Yom Kippur. Can you imagine if somebody tried to do that today? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that'd be a, a real interesting thing, but no, he certainly did, and I do remember it, and yeah, of course, I am a longtime Dodger fan. Uh, I have, of course, reconsidered that, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, uh, uh, definitely a... Uh, uh, a real interesting turn of events, but right, uh, absolutely, uh, truly, uh, you know, Dodgers had a great announcer. They certainly yeah, had uh, Scully, great players. Yeah, right. Scully, great you know, Scully, you know, absolutely, right. very good Catholic, good Catholic mm -hmm. man, right? So, absolutely, yeah. I would, what what Vince would be saying about that, he, I'm sure he wouldn't be happy. But uh, well, uh, I mean, my my, no, see, no see, he wouldn't. <laughs> would, would you say to me, Sandy Koufax is the best pitcher I ever say I ever saw pitch, not in person, but just having seen pitch. I thought he was the best. I ever oh saw. yeah, he surely was one of the greats, if not the greatest. And, yeah. and uh, you know, being a Dodger fan, of course, uh, highly biased. So I. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I wasn't thrilled with him. I did, I did like. Uh, yeah. Him and Drysdale striking out Maris and Mantle was not on the top of my list. No, that wasn't. That wasn't a fun World Series for us old people who remember the early '60s. So anyway. So. Well, I, be, I better keep my mouth shut here. There so, you go. <laughs> but Roger Miller's great pitcher, of course. And, uh, right. and, uh, but uh, alas, yeah, that was a, for the Dodgers fans, that was a happy day. Right, so. I remember. <laughs> so a couple other things tied into what's going on here. I, I wanted to get your reaction on this. Uh, and this is a confrere you, Father James Martin, said recently that celebrating oh. gay pride is compatible with devotion to the Sacred Heart because both teach us about the love of Jesus. Uh, now, Archbishop Chaput had mentioned earlier uh, the idea that uh, he said, called Father Martin now for speaking as if people's sexual proclivities determine their identity as persons. He said there's no such thing as an LGBTQ Catholic or a transgender Catholic or a heterosexual Catholic. As if our sexual appetites defined who we are, Chapu said, as if these designations describe discrete communities of differing but equal integrity within the real ecclesial community, the body of Jesus Christ. So uh, I would think that uh, mm -hmm. uh, linking that with the Sacred Heart seems like quite a stretch, no? Well, it's not only a stretch, but I mean, I do think uh, Archbishop Chaput has a point. Obviously, uh, you know, as Catholics, we should love everybody. Right. No question about that. But on the other hand, um, you know, the idea of identifying you, you as a person rather than associating you with your transcendent soul, your transcendent identity, <clears throat> your ability in your unique, good, um, a uniquely good, lovable, mysterious, transcendent way, mm -hmm. pursuing perfect truth, love, goodness, beauty, and home in the, your unique way. Now that's something definitely to associate <clears throat> yourself with, but to simply identify yourself with a facet right. of, of sexuality and proclaim it as really your personal identity, mm -hmm. it's a problem in the culture that, you know, is not just, you know, uh, in, in transgender ideology, it, it's there with all forms of sexual identity. Mm -hmm. And of course, it, it just bleeds over into a myriad uh, of different um, subjects. So, uh, you know, I, you know, we see the same problem, honestly, um, you know, in times when, uh, you know, race was considered to be right. the same kind of, you know, super identifying force of uh, personal identity. And, you, you know, of course, we know how that turned out in countries that were, you know, busily proclaiming eugenics against those races that did not 
have the right characteristics. And so, you know, again, I think this is always the, the lopsided view of personhood. Yeah. It's going to kill not only the individual who proclaims it, because you're going to take one small facet of yourself, <clears throat> your true identity, your true transcendent, eternal, perf you know, seeking perfect truth, love, goodness, beauty, and home identity, mm -hmm. and you're going to reduce it, uh, you know, to a sexual preference, or you're going to reduce it to, um, you know, um, what you believe your gender to be, you're going to reduce it, whatever, mm -hmm. to your race in the case of uh, times past, you're going to reduce it to uh, some form of great athleticism, uh, your Teutonic heritage, whatever it may mm -hmm. be. I mean, we do this again and again and again and again in culture, and it always winds up being a travesty whenever it happens. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think Archbishop Chaput, again, right. showing the wisdom of the ages, you know, gets right, bores right through to the point. Right. He's right on the marker, and I think this is... Uh, it's a problem. It's always going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. We just got to get back to our ensouled nature. We have to get back to the human mystery. We have to get back to the fact that we are capable of love, regardless of what our sexual identity is, that we are able to give ourselves to one another, empathize with one another in really, truly generous ways in imitation of Jesus in a good, humble-hearted, gentle-hearted way. We can do this, uh, you know, irrespective perspective mm -hmm. of, you know, taking a part of our identity and isolating it right. as the most important thing that there ever was. And, right. it, you know, it runs both ways. If you start doing it, you know, in one way, you wind up, you know, uh, um, uh, exaggerating, a, a, you know, pers a part of oneself uh, to the detriment of, of every other transcendent aspect from intellect to love to goodness to moral uh, proclivities to conscience, all the other things which make us to be so mysteriously, profoundly, transcendently human. Right, absolutely. And the thing you pointed out that was interesting, too, because you brought up the race issue, which up until recently most of us thought was kind of past you know, kind of Obama administration, you know, we have a black president, we went through this, and now all of a sudden there's an incredible machine behind pushing that kind of identity, politics or cultural, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, with this yeah. kind of white supremacy everywhere. Yeah. Well, identity politics to me is a problem. Mm -hmm. and, and again, I, and for the same reason I was just explaining, what identity politics does is because it is political, it's not interested in who the human being truly is mm -hmm. as transcendent, loving, intelligent, free mystery. Rather than that, identity politics wants to isolate, uh, you know, a particular aspect, uh, you know, of, of identity. And sometimes, you know, it's to give attention uh, to the identity um, initially is how it starts because of past deprivations. But what winds up happening is it produces social conflict. And the reason that it does is everybody thinks that this aspect of the identity, you know, needs to be treated more, less, given privilege, mm -hmm. not privilege, et cetera, et cetera. It always winds up being conflictual. Why don't we just go back to us being the truly human, transcendent mysteries that mm -hmm. we are? And I think in many, many ways, um, this, you know, people who really have a recognition of, you know, who 
you know, what, what did Christ come down to teach us? Right. Not about, you know, identity politics. He came right. down to, uh, to teach us about our transcendent mystery that we were made in the image and likeness of God. This is part of the Judeo-Christian, uh, uh, the Jewish revelation as mm -hmm. well. But more than that, he came to tell us that we are destined for eternal life in him and that that eternal life means to get the focus off of ourselves, off of narcissism, off of egocentricity, off of dominating others, off of basically trying to, uh, you know, become, you know, central beings to the hilt, etc., and keep our eyes focused mm -hmm. on that generous, empathetic desire to make a difference to as many people as we can, especially not only to their imminent selves and living mm -hmm. in this world, but to their transcendent selves destined for heaven okay. and that's what we have to be focused on as a, and that's what will make us a human community right. you want to you want a human uh, you want just you know complete social discourse uh, discord excuse me uh, go ahead and focus on identity politics right. Right. it's absolutely. it's absolutely discordant and if we focus on you know what's really truly mysterious what truly is transcendent what truly is, as it were, us in the image of God, in the infinite and eternal one, in perfect truth, you know, desiring perfect truth, love, goodness, beauty, and home, then if, if we recognize ourselves as the true transcendent identity that we have, mm -hmm. um, that is recognized by so many philosophers throughout the ages, it'll bring us together. You can't help but see the mystery in the others through the eyes that are the windows to the soul. Right, absolutely. Also, uh, not to beat a dead horse on this, because uh, but it is Pride Month uh, mm -hmm. uh, in the secular world out there. Though it makes you always remind that Pride goes before the fall, so maybe focusing on so much with the word <laughs> Pride in is probably not a good idea to begin with. But I thought this was an interesting story because it was a big story a couple of years ago. Detransitioned Navy SEAL warns parents about gender surgery for minors that they're not sharing all the data, and people can remember. Like about three years or so yeah. ago, there was a Chris Beck, formerly known as Kristen Beck, who had been a Navy SEAL who had transitioned to being a woman, and that yeah. was made a big deal on CNN. And they could play that up and say, "Hey, see what's, you know, what are you talking about?" But he said, in retrospect, he's transitioned back. He said, "The thing is yeah. that when you're going through the courses they show you about transitioning." They're coaching you, and they're coaching you on what to say to your parents, and they're not showing you all the data, you know, which you've talked about many times. Yeah. And he said, everything you see on yeah. CNN with my face, do not believe it, or word of it. Everything that happened to me for the last 10 years has destroyed my life. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can tell you this has been the data. This is precisely why Finland, Great Britain, and um, Sweden have reversed uh, their social policies completely. They will not even allow gender-affirming therapy for minors. Uh, as I've said many, many times, minors are too young. Uh, their frontal, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, cortices, uh, frontal and cerebral cortices are not fully developed, particularly the frontal, and that means that their judgment is going to be, well, not as acute mm -hmm. as adult judgment. It's just as simple as that. And so, uh, 
the uh, the difficulty is, you know, are they going to let their passions rule their, um, you know, their decisions? And the answer is, yeah, very yeah. probably they're going to let their passions rule the decisions. You know, when you're in the frontal cortex is fully developed, then you can turn off the emotion and become rational, at, you know, on a voluntary choice. But you know, it's very difficult to do that when you're an adolescent, when you feel the anxieties welling up within you, you think you have the solution, and you have a coach, um, you know, as Chris is saying, um, when you have a coach that's basically pushing you and pushing you uh, into this, um, you know, this uh, realm, telling you all the great benefits, you're willing to grasp at anything. Mm -hmm. But remember, the anxieties generally that give rise to the problem are not uh, oriented, you know, or do not arise out of, I should say, a man being trapped in a woman's body or a woman being trapped mm -hmm. in a man's body. What's really happening there is probably physical sexual abuse in the past, very probably um, uh, a, a lot of anxiety in the household that, of course, the person is taking, transferring to the self. I'm the cause of the anxiety. My parents would like me to be something different. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the uh, the problem, too, of homo latent homosexual desire. You combine it all with an encouraging parent, you know, dress up, go ahead, isn't that nice, so forth and so mm -hmm. on. And next thing you know, you've got this adolescent, you know, filled with passion, desirous to get over um, the anxiety, and you're going to start coaching them to get gender-affirming therapy? I mean, this is like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. the me true medical people who are truthful with themselves, who look at all the data from Finland, Sweden, and Great Britain, and, and uh, by the way, in the United States, too. It, I mean, the big studies in the Netherlands, too, very, very big studies. The, the, if you start looking at these, the, the data, it's very a very difficult to say um, in, in truth mm -hmm. that this could be good for anybody you know yet they are pushing it and pushing it some of them for the social agenda some of them for money right the old you know put another 50 100 grand in the old pocket etc cetera, etc cetera. but uh, you know at the at the end of the day mm -hmm. it's I think what mm -hmm. um, um, Chris is saying is is absolutely correct right, it's absolutely. just dead wrong dead unethical medical people should not be doing this look at the data it's very transparent right absolutely and I, I think as mother would say on, on some of the non-financial issues it's a lot of misguided compassion for a lot of parents and people too who you know th are trying they oh. don't want to hurt their children they're being they don't guilted want to be, into it right exactly 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 uh, they are being guilted into it and that's right. part of the unethical right. dimension it's not just medically unethical the guilt that is laid upon the parent right. who resists this is unconscionable right. because the parent who suspects that this is not going to be the solution to their child's problem, who suspects that if they could just get that child some therapy, there's like a 90% chance that child's going to revert right back to his um, basic biological yeah, right. uh, uh, sexual identity. They're right. Th their suspicions are correct. The problem is they are flooded with the social propaganda that frankly guilts them into it and even not only guilts them into it fr from the vantage point of the, the medical profession, right. but from their friends and even from the social order and now from the school 
schools. It's not right. It's, it's, it, well, of course it's not right. It's unconscionably wrong. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, uh, that's, that's my view, and I just think uh, g give these parents some peace and let them make a good judgment right. on the basis of the data. And I agree with Chris again. The data is not being given uh, either to the child or to the parent. Right. It's just being withheld, and but it's out there. It's out, out in the literature. All the statistics I've got right. here are from the archives of general psychiatry. So Absolutely. you know, it's, it's it's out there, but it's sure well, not the in the social media. I think, I think or some the of these people media. are out there. I think that's part of the problem we've got. Uh, there's a lot of people around yeah. there uh, yeah. in the wrong wrong direction. One last uh, story before we get to uh, some questions. Yeah. Uh, this, mm -hmm. uh, the Catholic Vote put out a story about uh, Bishop uh, Diocese of Lexington, Kentucky. I guess Bishop John Stowe wrote an essay for mm -hmm. Commonweal Magazine, which was a fairly, you'd say, liberal, progressive magazine in its day. Now I think it's just a yeah. website. Mm -hmm. And he was uh, lauding yeah. the whole mm -hmm. idea of the synodal process. But his concern was that the reception by the bishops in the United States can be characterized as lukewarm at best about that process. And he says, it's easy to see why the National Eucharistic Revival has received far more energy, attention, and resources in the U.S. Church than the Synod on Synodality. He wrote, there's a plan, there's marketing, there's beginning and end point, that's substantial funding, there's a problem to be addressed, namely a concern that Catholics do not believe sufficiently in the real presence. Uh, his theory is, is that since there's no clear outcome in the Synod, people are, are concerned yeah. about it. He went on to go on and say, and this is probably the main thing, instead of ensuring a Eucharistic centrality to the synodal process, allowing for an organic discernment about our Eucharistic understanding, plans for a mega event featuring plenty of preconciliar piety and theology have replaced the focus on the synod for a synodal church in the, US, in the, in the USCB, USCCB, he wrote. He goes on, it does not strike me as coincidental that much of the Eucharistic revival focuses on Eucharistic adoration, passive in nature, and offers an easy alternative to the active engagement of walking together in synodality. Somebody wrote as a, as a commentary, they quoted uh, uh, Pope St. John XXIII, who said, when Eucharistic fervor is attenuated or extinguished, then it is very difficult for men to understand each other Love grows cold, sin invades minds and hearts. And that's the man who called the Second Vatican Council. Your thoughts? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, first of all, of course, it's always good to get input from people, mm -hmm. uh, but it, it has to be toward a specific agenda. I mean, I, uh, uh, many have been the, the days, right? I, you know, uh, uh, after 11 years of leadership in a university, I can tell you right now that if you don't put out a white paper that gives a direction for people to be thinking about, right? If you, mm -hmm. if you give a white paper, the white paper basically prescribes an outline or, mm -hmm. you know, some some of the thoughts that you have, but it's it's completely open to you know getting input on that subject, moving in a particular direction. Mm -hmm. That's a way to go. But to simply uh, you know have a, a kind of a blank you know tabula uh, uh, rasa, you know I mean kind of a, a uh, you know a, 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 you know an empty blackboard as it were. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, you know if that's the case, uh, I think it really does tend to wander. Mm -hmm. Now you know getting back. To whether you know Eucharistic piety is is something bad, mm. I, I certainly don't mm. hold the Eucharistic piety is something bad, Absolutely. and I don't think that it is you know replacing 
um, something good. I think, you know, the, the, you're, that's an either or, a false either or, you can call it. We used to call it a dichotomy in the old days. Right. But I mean, it is a false dichotomy that, you know, if you do this, then this other thing is going to happen, which is not happening at all. It's actually the opposite. And I really do believe that Eucharistic piety in many ways complements all of the other things that are being done. I mean, some people would disagree with me vehemently about Eucharistic miracles, but I have to tell you, Eucharistic miracles, there is a lot of darn good scientific evidence for these miracles, especially the one at Buenos Aires and Tixla and um, uh, uh, Sokolka. And that evidence, by the way, you can find it if, if you go to uh, Dr. Castagnon Gomez, Ricardo Castagnon Gomez, and he wrote a book, unfortunately, it's only in Spanish right now. Mm -hmm. I hope it will be translated in English, but you can Google translate it and you can get it on the miracle of Tixla. Look at those 14 appendices in that book. Basically, he presents all the lab reports from, you know, different sectors, from histopathology to, a, you know, a microscopic screening, uh, you know, to blood examination on a, you know, a distinctive uh, level, um, you know, uh, uh, apart from the pathological uh, examination, molecular uh, exams of various kinds. And uh, if you kind of break it apart, including uh, the genetic, um, you know, tests that he actually ordered up on his own dime. If you look at this, these, these 14 appendices, you look at those miracles and you go, wow, that's really interesting. You mean through transmission electron screening, you're going to be able to see an entanglement of the substance of the host and the substance of uh, the heart tissue on the level of the thin um, filaments of the myofibrils? I mean, with a few microns of separation? I mean, this is impossible for any human technology to reproduce. Hey, somebody ought to be getting some uh, curiosity right. about these miracles. It's really stunning. But the stunner, you know, double is that that tissue is alive. There are leukocytes, macrophages, white blood cells, right, that normally die within a couple of hours after being disconnected from an embodied circulatory system, and all of a sudden you see this tissue is still alive with white blood cells in it. I mean, th this is um, um, impossible. And in the case of the tixla, the blood that is coming from the actual um, tissue, you know, that's in that dimple in that host there, mm -hmm. that blood, which is still flowing, it's the it's that it's being made fresh every single second six seven years after the Tixla miracle it was already tested with active red blood cells in it I mean uh, what we're talking about here is impossible to explain in terms of any kind of first of all natural explanation secondly human technology cannot explain it you can't keep that tissue alive you know by trying to uh, uh, you know to to, to to do certain, I mean, if you tried to keep it alive through some form of electrolysis right. and stimulation of various kinds, still the, the white blood cells eventually, uh, without the, uh, the the actual fresh tissue being there, would eventually die. But what's even more uh, interesting is that would be easily right. detectable if somebody were, were trying to do such a thing. So, I mean, the, what we have here 
is is something most most absolutely interesting right. and 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 that's that's accompanying the eucharistic piety and look at all the good research that's being done you know on the intentionality of christ in light of the collapse of time which we've talked about in this pro on this program before that's being done along right. with it and what about the the modern uh, piety of the eucharist that's going along with you know the the campaigns in so many different dioceses and archdioceses to go back to mass to look at the fruit of the Eucharist to examine, you know, the, uh, the the gifts that the Holy Eucharist gives in terms oh. of transformation of the right. heart, in terms well, of forgiveness that, of sins, that's the, that's the yeah. energy that drives all the other works so many of these other people yeah. spend their time focused on, which is good works. But if you don't have yeah. that energy, if you don't have that food for the journey, right, uh, you can't do yeah. those other things. Uh, totally. And, and that's where uh, people totally, get, totally, they, they totally. put the cart before the horse and then they wonder why they get burned out or they get lost. So uh, right before we go oh, to a break, get, yeah, we're, lost we're, sure. we're going to get in one, one question. <laughs> I promise I'd get one question sure. before okay. the break. Uh, this right. one to play on your pride. Uh, Dear Father Spitzer, my brother and I are huge fans of the show and recently have been encouraging one another to binge Spitzer when you find yourselves, hashtag binge Spitzer, <laughs> when you find ourselves behind the premieres and having to watch multiple episodes in a single week to catch up on the late, latest Spitzerian content with all the negative, frankly, satanic <laughs> shows and movies out there that people binge watch, quote unquote. Today, we're very thankful for Father Spitzer's University W10. Do we have your permission to use our means of social media, meager though it may be, at this moment to try and spread our hashtag binge Spitzer message to, to counter the many anti-Catholic and anti-Jesus <laughs> narratives in the online space. Thank you again for all you do. And shout out to Doug for always keeping you <laughs> the good father in line. Usually the people are shouting at me for interrupting you. So I appreciate Andrew seeing no, the other no, side no. of the equation. Oh, no, so. you're, the, the, you're the, the precious uh, and, and indispensable interlocutor. But uh, I have to say, by all means, share the picture. The, the, that's, a, that's a good one. <laughs> yes, please do. That's right. BingeSpitzer.com. So with that being said, and I'll give you a chance to calm your, become more humble over the break. We'll be back with Father Spitzer and much more of the show, your questions and our topics. Stay with us. Much more ahead. Welcome back to Father Spitzer's Universe. Don't forget about EW10's family celebration Saturday, August 26th in Birmingham. So you can visit EW10, visit the shrine. Speakers include the one and only Father Wade Menezes, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, Mass with our own Bishop Stephen Reka, and Jim and Joy are going to be there. We're going to have lots of programs, and all of our EW10 personalities will be there, and book signings and all the great things. The friars will all be there. They're the highlight. More information on how to register if you need to stay here, EW10.com forward slash family celebration. So check that out at the end of August, and it's free. Did we mention it's free? Yes, it is free. And last year we had the pleasure when we were in Phoenix of having the one and only Father Spitzer there. We were able to do a... Uh, the Father Spitzer show. So that was That's fun great. too. This year we'll be doing something different. You know, Father Spitzer's a busy man. He can't always, can't always get him booked. He's booking five years ahead, I think, right now, aren't you? 
Not something like that, right? <laughs> Hardly. <laughs> Or is, it, or is it that Joan just keeps putting me off? That's okay. That might be the case, too. You know? No, no, no. The great one loves you. So, <laughs> so here's, here's another question. Dear Father Spitzer, I'm an ex-atheist, now Catholic, and I'm engaged with debates online with atheists. I feel like debating in apologetics hardly ever changes anyone's mind. I recently heard a famous atheist, Sam Harris, on a podcast saying the same thing and that he's basically given up debating for that reason. What do you think about that, Brian? Well, Brian, I think, you know, there's um, what I call uh, pr productive discussions with open atheists, and then there's kind of useless debates with closed atheists. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I've had a lot of open discussions with, op um, uh, with open atheists, and I'm telling you, it's done incredible good. I mean, uh, honestly, I, I don't, we don't treat it like a debate. They have honest questions. They're looking for answers. I'm trying to give them as much data as I can from science, from philosophy, from logic and metaphysics, et cetera. We work around these things, and I do, it has produced a huge amount of good. My books, I, I get a lot of emails saying, thank you for this book, or thank you for that book, or thank you for the show here, mm -hmm. Father Spitzer's Universe where people just say, wow, this information was very uh, useful to me. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people what I consider on the edge atheists or open atheists. They're looking for, they're genuinely looking. Then on the other hand, you've got what I call the, I'm never going to be convinced atheist. I generally, you know, I can generally detect it in about two, three minutes. Mm -hmm. This guy, uh, what he wants to do is fight. And, mm -hmm. Okay, you know, I will give normally a response uh, to that. And I'll just say, have you looked at this and this mm -hmm. and this and this? And then if I hear, you know, these very kind of superficial responses that are like, ah, oh, and all that stuff, when it ever begins with, all that stuff is wrong. That means I don't know anything about what you're talking about, but I'm going to just declare it to be wrong. The minute I hear it, I just go, you know, well, thanks. It's been great talking to you. I don't waste my time on it. I got much better things to do. You know, people try and gauge you on the email with debating, you know, in these uh, particular areas. Right. I just basically ask people up front, are you open to really changing? And they'll say something like, are you open to changing? You know, if I, um, uh, you know, say no, then of course they're going to say, well, I'm not either. I'll just mm -hmm. say, good. Uh, that just answers my question. No, I, I, I don't think I'll debate you. But right. if I say, uh, are you open to changing? And people go, yeah, I'm really searching for an answer. Right, right. I don't think I have an answer and I want one. Then I say, okay, that, that's worth my time and I do it. Right. Yeah, I, I think the issue is you can have those conversations, you can do that, but you don't want pyrrhic victories, you don't want to drive people into the ground, you don't want to get into an argument. Oh, yeah. But you, you want to speak yeah. the truth in love, and, and you never know what little word you may say yeah. uh, open creates an opening in somebody that can be exploited later by the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah. You never know. We hear that all the time from EW10, oh, yeah. where mm -hmm. people tune in, catch this show, yeah. saw that in the middle of the night, those kinds yeah. of stories, we, we hear that, that all, all the time. And like you said, there's the people who are really asking you a question because they, they have questions, and other people who are like looking to slay you like this is a competition, right? 
Yeah. Well, no. If, uh, I mean, I don't mind, you know, uh, half the time I can see the flaw in the argument, mm -hmm. like within two seconds. And, you know, when I was a young man, I must admit, right. uh, my <laughs> basic viewpoint was to crush. And so I, I was kind of a mean-spirited guy. But, you know, it was the sins of youth. I mean, basically, my dissertation director, the great Paul Weiss, uh, basically told me one day, says, look, kid. <laughs> He says, uh, I'm just going to tell you something. You know, when you, when you go after somebody, first you hit them, then you knock them down, then you jump on them and bite them. You don't have to bite them. I said, okay, all right. So he basically said, you're 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 going to lose people because you you're just you're gonna you're you're wailing on them too much. And I just said, I got it, I got it. And I began to learn, you know, to do this not because just because you know I I wanted to to you know get favor in people's eyes. I just thought I wanted to be fair to their position and why they were the way they were. And the minute you kind of do that. You don't have to crush anymore. You know, it's basically you could just engage or disengage in debate as you see it being productive. Right, absolutely. But uh, yeah, there's no rule. Yeah. So let's move over onto onto your book so we can get started on the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church in defense of her controversial moral teachings. Now, are let me ask you a question: Are there some that are controversial, or in this day and age, are every teaching of the Catholic Church's moral teachings controversial? Well, I mean, you know, the usual, uh, you know, don't cheat, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery. That, in general, mm -hmm. uh, what C.S. Lewis would call the eight, uh, you know, prescriptions that we have in our conscience, the eight prescriptions that you can find in every religion across the world. No, you know, the Catholic Church, of course, upholds those. And people generally don't quibble with it. People don't just go, well, aren't there some exceptions? Uh, you, you really ought to be cheating people. Mm -hmm. You really ought to be lying and stealing. You really ought to be going after people's wives, you know, and so forth and so on. I mean, most people are not going to say, go ahead and do that. Mm -hmm. However, in all of the, what I call, um, uh, you know, subsidiary uh, issues in sexuality mm -hmm. and, of course, when you're talking about killing with respect to elderly and infants, oh, yeah, you're going to get a huge amount of resistance mm -hmm. uh, to that because, again, it conflicts with a social ideology that basically says it's okay to kill a, a, a child if, you know, in point of fact, uh, you consider this to be an, in, in some kind of a restriction to your inalienable right to freedom. Uh, never mind the fact that this is, you know, contradicts uh, good social philosophy in about mm -hmm. four different levels. It completely rules out the inalienable rights of the of the uh, of the fetus, it, it, uh, the pre-born human being. It completely, um, you know, neglects the fact that every human being. Uh, is substantially complete. Mm -hmm. It only needs some cell divisions and some attention from um, his or her mother in order to to uh, become, a, a, you know, a full a baby. The fact that you know these things are neglected. The fact that you know liberty rights have never been given the same uh, prioritization as life rights. Mm -hmm. Just as property rights 
should never have been given uh, prioritization over liberty rights in the Dred Scott decision right. when, you know, that basically the Supreme right. Court unanimously decided that they were going to allow, um, you know, black human beings to become the property, the chattel of white human beings, uh, you know, and so forth. So we, these are like elementary propositions in good political social philosophy, and they're just being cast aside, not to mention logical errors and evidence errors, like, you know, in Roe versus Wade, you know, they made the same mistake as the Dred Scott decision. Not finding that black people are protected under the Constitution, forgetting all about inalienable rights mm -hmm. that belong to them all by themselves, reducing all rights to constitutional rights. We declare, therefore, that um, the Negro peoples should be, uh, you know, subservient uh, to the white people. Uh, you know, you look at this and you go, can this be? Can, can, can this be? But, uh, of course, that is a, a, an evidentiary error of the greatest kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, or the worst kind of example right. of, of an evidentiary error. Silence is silence. If the Constitution is silent, it doesn't mean yes or no. Mm -hmm. It just means silence. And to interpret it as a no rights, that's exactly, of course, what our Supreme Court, the majority of the Supreme Court right. did uh, before Dobbs, obviously, and Roe v. Wade. And, and, you know, the idea is, well, we can't find any constitutional precedents here. Uh, therefore, it's okay. You know, we can, uh, you know, the, the state doesn't have any uh, interest here in protecting uh, the life of these pre-born human beings. What are you talking about? You know, I mean, it's like, this is like evidence 101, and, and not to mention, of course, it's an right. outrage anyway, morally. But, I mean, these are the kinds of things that are just cast aside and the, you know, I remember my logic teacher way back as a freshman mm -hmm. uh, in college just saying, you know, there are far more errors of omission than commission. Right, right. And I thought to myself, that's exactly right. It's everything that you're purposely omitting, mm -hmm. everything you know you should be saying, you know, as a caveat that you're leaving out, that's just as much of a lie, or as, you know, uh, uh, Mark Twain would call it, a darn lie, mm -hmm. you know, as, as, you know, any kind of overt, you know, uh, false statement. Mm -hmm. So the, the, for me, the, the, the problem is that this has been done cavalierly. It's been allowed to be done. I, I'm just so grateful, mm -hmm. um, you know, for uh, Justice Alito calling it out and just writing the decision that he did, and I am, you know, grateful to the whole uh, the Supreme Court for mm -hmm. actually putting us back, not only on the moral track, and, you know, there is such a thing as natural law morality that is not based on religion. And, of course, putting us back on what we might call a firm ground of justice before the law, the positive law. Right. This has been, since St. Augustine, you know, uh, I mean, uh, this has been so, right. so clear, you know, that, 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 uh, uh, you know, if you don't have justice as your aspiration, but you're going to consider the positive law higher than justice, then you can be sure that you will be ravaged by injustices one right after the next. And so the idea, uh, you know, for Augustine was no, an unjust
law is no law at all. Now that has been quoted by you know Martin Luther King, by Gandhi, by you know everybody. I mean Augustine was right on the marker, and we should be you know what the Supreme Court did in Dobbs is to restore this mm -hmm. and and. Uh, and I think that this is uh, uh, super important as well. And then the, the third area uh, that's important too is that, you know, the, the court until Dobbs forgot about inalienable rights. I mean, I mean, it's like, you mean we don't have to debate the inalienable right to life of a pre-born human being who is substantially whole? Not one thing will be added to him substantially, genetically, the zygote, that he has right now, that single cell, is going to give rise to every single cell in his body throughout his entire lifetime that's substantially whole, has no rights whatsoever upon your declaration. Who are you, God? And of course, the idea would be, no, the mm -hmm. court is not God. And because it is not God, I think that, again, the right. court had absolutely the right uh, to reverse that outrage. And so these are things that right. need to be considered. In fact. I think they were uh, right. considered. Right, and then, mm -hmm. then this month, in yeah. fact, they're actually going to have, I think, some events around the Dobbs decision in a positive sense of, uh, yeah. you know, uh, celebrating yeah. sense that the overturning there. So moving ahead here, I, I wanted to yeah. ask you in the beginning of Sorry, the book. Sorry, got going yeah, there. <laughs> you had, uh, in loving memory of my mother, who showed me the goodness of the church. How did she do that? My mom was a daily communicant and she was a serious, good, responsible Catholic. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I mean, I saw my mom's example. I saw her kneeling in that church and how she prayed, and I could just tell she meant every word of her prayers. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, when we were little kids, we were a little bit squirmy, mm -hmm. but my mom had the perfect dagger eye look. <laughs> All she needed to do was just go, you know, look right <laughs> over with the dagger eye, and we knew, <laughs> you know, uh, better get back in the line. So, uh, but she meant it, and she, um, you know, I remember once, you know, she had this little prayer book um, behind her, um, uh, you know, her bed, um, and she had had a, uh, next to the prayer book, she had um, the life of this sister. It was a Mexican sister um, who, you know, really wrote about divine love. And my mom had that, that book was like, you know, almost coming apart at the seams because my mom had read it and she tried to, to share it with us, you know, and, and uh, I could really see how serious she was, how much she knew God loved her mm -hmm. and how much she loved God back. I could see it very clearly too in her love of the church. She was always trying to do something. She was driving some sisters somewhere. Mm -hmm. She was Eucharistic minister to the sick. She was always trying to do something that would make a difference when, you know, um, uh, you know, she would always have the priests over. I mean, we could have adopted our fair share of priests in mm -hmm. our house. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, my mom was uh, always uh, rolling out the, the red carpet when they came over and we could, and the priests being in our house, they were so wonderful. And they, they were filled with joy. They were filled
filled with humor, mm -hmm. and they, you know, they, you know, they they really were just great. And you know, uh, like I said, my my father uh, followed an example. He was a good cigar smoker, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, several of the pr uh, priests and uh, Brother Vaynard, wonderful Brother Vaynard, uh, was always, you know, uh, my dad said, hey, you know, brother, you want to sing? Oh yeah, thanks, Art. <laughs> you know, <laughs> pull the old cigar up. But I have to tell you, she was such an example mm -hmm. in every imaginable way. And I'm just doing a shout out to my mom, because right. where would I be without her and without her faith and without her love that was integrated right. into her faith? I have no idea, but boy, did God give me a good mom. Right. Uh, real lucky. You also <laughs> mentioned your father. You just mentioned him there. You said, who taught me yeah. respect for objective morals and the law. How did you see that in his life? Yeah. Oh man, my dad, I'll tell you, uh, he was, my dad was a straight arrow. Mm. Uh, I mean, he was an attorney. I know you might think, oh, that's an oxymoron. But no, <laughs> he, he, he really was. He was he was one of these kind of Harvard kind of, you know, attorneys who, you know, he, he had the gift of the gab. There's no doubt about that. But he also, he was a straight arrow and he would just sit down with us and explain to thing, uh, explain things to us. You know, he uh, certainly was a very logical, rational person. He loved, to, you know, he's a ham radio operator, but he loved fiddling around with all this equipment, you know, getting us crystal sets when we were, you know, these little uh, crystal radio sets, mm -hmm. you know, to build, you know, the night kits. You don't have them anymore, I guess. Mm -hmm. But anyway, you know, he's always taken us through that. Had a true love for science, for electronics, for, you know, I was always badgering him, you know, Dad, okay, how does this electron work again, you know? So, you know, you say it's a particle, now you say it's a wave. Well, that's one of the problems, you know. But he would take the time out. It wasn't like, don't bug me. You know, when he had the time, you know, he definitely gave us the time. And I was very curious. You know, I would take out these encyclopedias. I'm not kidding you. Mm. I would read through every science article practically I could get my hand on and what we had the world book encyclopedia the Britannica was a little ahead of me uh, mm. before I got into like senior math um, but uh, but uh, but basically prior to that you know I would read that world book every single thing if I had questions my dad was very patient and he was very good about you know sharing his love of science and his love of law and I remember once I took out this book building a prima facie a fascia case you know and I you know I was interested in it because of course I like arguing mm -hmm. so I thought you know I may, may as well look at this book and he took the time to explain these things uh, to me when I was just a young man and so I you know I learned a lot about respect for logic for teaching for education for science and at the same time objective morality my dad was a great example I mean one time <laughs> literally I shouldn't even say this on television but you know here I am you know uh, I go into Long's drugstore and they used to have these huge vats of candies right mm -hmm. various and I love these Bratches candies that were kind of like fruit uh, candies embedded in this white, uh, you know, substance, whatever. Well, very sugary, but I, I loved them. Yeah. yeah, and so, of course, you know, as I was passing by <laughs> the thing, I just take swipe one or two of these. I did, I must admit, and I swiped about four of them by the time I got out of Long's drugstore, and my dad caught 
that out of the corner of his eye and I was pulling out these candies which he hadn't bought mm -hmm. and um, he looked over and he goes what's that and I said oh they're just some candy where'd you get that and I finally I said well not gonna compound the problem with lions so I said well I took them from lungs car stops go all the way back to lungs and he says you're gonna go up to that cashier and you're gonna give her this nickel I guess mm -hmm. it was a nickel for four or whatever. Right, right. So he said, you're going to give her this nickel, and you are going to tell her that you stole them, and you are now paying for them. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, <laughs> here you go, ma'am. She looked up, and she looked at my dad like, really? And my dad goes, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and of course, uh, and so it was right then and there I knew, you know, don't, don't mess with, you know, good morals you, mm -hmm. you know this is you know you you just sullied your own reputation in front of this lady uh, you know enjoy it you know and i mean uh, of course i was ashamed to have to admit it mm -hmm. and he wanted me to be ashamed but the lesson was you if you're ashamed to tell her then you ought to be ashamed within yourself don't do this again right. and that was my dad i mean he basically my dad was you know, uh, uh, you know, he was good straight arrow, and I right. learned from him, and and I even heard his stories, you know, and I thought to myself, you know, I, I want to be like him. Mm -hmm. I want to be like him. Right. And, and so. uh, last couple of minutes uh, before we get into really into the book mm -hmm. itself, but in the beginning, uh, you have a quote from Matthew 7, 15, 20. Beware of false prophets who mm -hmm. come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Did you pick that quote to be in the beginning, and if so, why? Uh, well, I picked it, mm -hmm. and I picked it because this is going on in our culture continuously. Mm -hmm. And even though they're cultural prophets and not religious prophets that Jesus was talking about, I think we all know that the sheep's clothing is out there. Mm -hmm. When you see, you know, transgenderism being put into this beautiful ideology that's so open and wonderful, though the consequences are utterly tragic, why does my mind keep going back to all the propaganda, you know, for, you know, for euthanasia mm -hmm. that, you know, was being you know, thrown out there by the Nazi regime that was leading to the greatest racist, you know, regime that ever lived. And, you know, all the beautiful propaganda that was, you know, that the Maoists were putting out there about how the cultural revolution's going to help so many people. I know, I know, a few million will have to die. But, you know, that's nothing compared with all the benefits that will come to China in the future. And you look at this and you go, why is this not a repeat of all that we have heard? Yes, it looks open, looks like we should be doing this. This is the right way to go, where nobody is presenting all the facts, as we just talked about a little earlier. That people are right. leaving out all these important uh, details about how the destructiveness is going to happen. They're not quoting studies that are really good longitudinal studies, but instead substituting little studies of, oh, how did you feel after your transgender surgery, uh, little 16-year-old? Oh, I feel really good about it. It's really the best thing I ever have. New York Times going to publish that study. I shouldn't pick on New York Times. Right. Pick on anybody. People are going to publish that study. 
you know, rather than, um, uh, you know, publish a, uh, um, you know, a 50-year study done in Sweden that shows, you know, the, a 20 times increase in suicides, um, you know, five to 10 years after the surgery? Why? I mean, this is selective truth. And I, I, wolves, that's to me right. what exactly what And if it's a good are. thing, and, I mean, you shouldn't have to lie to yeah. people about it if it's really a good thing, right? Uh, Sure. I mean, it's the same thing with pornography. You know, when you hear these guys talk about, oh, come on, this is, you know, this is, you know, typical adolescent thing. Everybody's going to do it. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, go ahead and, you know, t take, you know, take a look. You'll never right. get addicted to this stuff. Oh, yeah? Fastest growing addiction uh, that's come about in the last 10 years, right? Just Not just because of the Internet. People blame it on the Internet. It's because it, the license to just go out and do it. It's a victimless sin. It's not going to harm unquote. anything. Right, yeah, Yet right. we have study after study that shows the depression levels go up as pornography use goes up. Study after study right. showing that as religious practice father, goes down, as pornography level goes up. We're going to have to keep up. some of those studies till next week because uh, we're just out of time. <laughs> right. uh, so uh, if you good. can uh, give us your blessing yeah. on the way out the sure. door. That'd be great. Okay, bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord of all wisdom and all love and true compassion come down to you through his Holy Spirit to inspire, guide, and protect you so that you may not only move toward the kingdom of heaven, but also help others to move toward that kingdom filled with perfect truth, love, goodness, beauty, and home in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Always great to be with you, Father. We'll see you next week, and hopefully we'll see you as well. Father Spitzer's books and DVDs are naturally available, including the new book that we're talking about. And, of course, we'll continue with that book, The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church. Check that out through Religious Catalog so you can follow along. This week on Bookmark, a special time at 8 a.m. Eastern Time Sunday, God Loves the Autistic Mind. I do. I love my son. And the title, Prayer Guide for Those on the Spectrum and Those Who Love Us by Father Matthew Schneider. A very interesting interview. A lot of people dealing with that. And the Solemnity of Corpus Christi Mass and Procession from the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament in Hansville. Beautiful place in Alabama with our sisters. Sunday, 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Always incredibly popular. Don't miss it. I'm Doug Keck. We'll see you next time in Father Spencer's Universe. Be there.